Okay, so welcome to welcome X to the um, to our post Mormon podcast. I'm going to say that the the purpose of this podcast is is that this is about a journey to become unmormon, and unmormon means you're not Mormon anymore. You've got nothing to do with being Mormon. Whereas when you're ex Mormon, you are still defining yourself by the church. Mormonism is still part of your identity and. Once you get past an anger phase, I think, now you have to start rebuilding. And so me and you have been talking a little bit about rebuilding our lives kind of after Mormonism and after the anger phase and after the rage of Joseph Smith polygamy or, or whatever your issue was that led you out of the church. And now it's rebuilding the life. But part of that, I think, is just looking back on our life in the church and kind of laughing at it and talking about the reasons why we should have known sooner right yeah so there's one thing that people say in the church when you you run into an issue and and they say the church is perfect but the people just aren't right and this is a common defense usually on the social when somebody has a social problem at church they get into an argument disagreement somebody says something weird strange or offensive and you're really upset about it. You're like, I don't know if this is a place I want to be. And then people say, well, you know what? The church is perfect, but the people aren't. And I think what they mean to say is like the gospel is perfect or the teachings of Mormonism are perfect, but the people just aren't. So you need to cling to the teachings and what you know is true. But I think when people say that, they end up, you get shortchanged, right? Because one thing is, is that you become less effective at resolving conflict Nobody says, do you know what? You need to go talk to the bishop and explain to him, you know, this. you said this thing and it was really upsetting to me and I don't really appreciate it when you say things like that. I don't want to feel welcome here. So you as a person, you don't learn how to handle conflict very well. And the other thing is in the church, you get neutered in your approach to conflict. And there's some things Elder Bednar famously taught, or sorry, David Bednar famously saying, talking about choosing not to be offended. So it's up to you. And then if I choose not to be offended, then I don't react to it. So I don't resolve the conflict. I just come to peace with it without actually improving. And then of course, talking about how contention is of the devil. So this whole idea of the church being perfect, the people aren't, it really shortchanges the members in terms of being able to deal with and resolve conflict. And also there's teachings in the church that actively discourage members from being able to resolve conflict. I think they go along with it. These things are all part and parcel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think this is one of one of the biggest issues where I feel, you know, we're talking about becoming unmormon, like moving on with our lives and being able to just be normal human beings. That inability to resolve conflict, to deal with conflict with human beings instead of just sweeping things under the rug, right? We were taught, oh, you have a problem with somebody, just sweep it under the rug. You just gotta, you just gotta kind of move on. And although you know, I'm a very chill, you know, oh, whatever, leave it be person. There are real issues that you actually have to deal with. You can't just be like, oh, well, nobody's perfect, and someday Jesus will come and save us. And that's the, <laughs> that's the effect that this attitude has had on us, uh, growing up, and just you know as we've become human and then as we get out of this we have to try and figure out 
okay, how do I operate in, in systems that aren't actually perfect instead of pretending like the system's perfect and the people are the problem? Right. I'd say one thing I've observed kind of moving on in my career to more management positions is that most people are generally bad at dealing with conflict, but the church doesn't do anything to make you better. In fact, it probably does things that make you worse mm-hmm. at dealing with it, right? Yeah. So generally, I think people are bad at having tough conversations. That's why they call it having a tough conversation. But the church doesn't do anything in its teachings to help you get better at it. It does things that actively probably make you worse at dealing with it. So one thing I found is when people, when I've had employees who disagree with each other, their personalities clash a little bit. First thing I wanted to do is jump in and kind of mother hen and smooth the whole situation out and reduce contention right? That's like my ultimate goal in life was reduce contention. But then we had some other issues and we we had from like a corporate bullying and harassment policy. And the first thing that it talks about is to be direct. So that's the HR policy is to directly deal with the person you have a problem with yourself before you complain to management about it. And so once I had that, I was like, oh, I'm not fixing people's problems anymore. I go over the policy with them. I say, hey, What you're talking about probably isn't bullying and harassment, but the steps here are kind of the same. If you've got a problem with somebody, I appreciate you coming to me, but you kind of need to make a list and go over the things with the person yourself and just figure out a way to get along better. And sometimes I've had to like chew on my own words because when I run into a problem with somebody, I've got to go and do that (laughs) myself. And it's hard and uncomfortable to go to somebody and say, hey, do you know what? You said something and I don't know what you meant by it, but it actually was really upsetting because of this, this, and this. Did I miss something? Did I misunderstand? I just want to get on the same page so we can keep working together, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, if... So that... Go ahead, sorry. I was just going to say that was one thing as I was losing faith in the church that was straight. I don't... It may be a shelf item or whatever you call it, but it was weird to me how my job was teaching me how to deal with people better than the church was teaching me to deal with people. And so I'm working for this capitalist quote unquote mammon organization, this necessary evil. I'm being part of this thing, but not of this thing, but this thing, this job is teaching me how to deal with people better than God's one true church. And it was just like, it became strange to me. And I was like, why am I, this is weird. <laughs> this isn't working, right? <laughs> yeah. Could you imagine if, if in, in the church you were taught to deal with that, like, hey, hey, Bishop, uh, that question you asked me, that felt inappropriate. You know, if you were taught to deal with your issues in that direct way, hey, young men's leader, that wasn't a very nice thing you said to me. You know, that upset me. If you actually were able to talk about those things and resolve those things, or even, sitting in in church in Sunday school and say, I disagree with that. <laughs> you know, I don't think that's true. And being open to having those conversations. But it's not. So, <laughs> Right. And yeah. And I say that was another weird thing where I was, just, as I was clinging to the tradition of being in the church, one thing that just made it unbearable anymore is that I wanted to have tougher conversations but nobody was equipped to respond to me. So I'm just like, I'm talking to a wall. I, I am trying to find a place to fit in here 
I'm raising my concerns diplomatically and nobody's engaging with me. Nobody knows how to engage with me. So why am I here? And it's always, it's always right? said it as the excuse that the church is perfect, but the, the people aren't, right? It's always putting this blame on the people, which sucks because the people are so much better than the church. I, you know, I think I'm, I think I'm probably in, in the fortunate group where I had really great bishops. I had really great young men's leaders and my family and, you know, all these great people that I got to be surrounded with. But I feel like the, the church kind of neuters people. Like it doesn't allow them to be as fully capable and good as they can be. Partly, you know, because the, the system's messed up. The questions that they're made to ask in, in bishopric or in bishop interviews or the, the demands that are put on the people. The amount of free time that I have now <laughs> to do other things and to do hopefully actually fulfilling things is mind-boggling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like once we got our Sundays back, it was like there was less pressure on Saturday to get things done. You could stretch things out over the weekend. The weekends became a lot more relaxing because there wasn't this pressure to do all these things on Saturday so that Sunday you could sit around in your church clothes. Was your family one of the families where it was like you get home and you stay in your church clothes all day? Uh, I would say it depended on the mood that my parents were in and how rebellious we were being generally. But it wasn't like a huge rule? No. And I think it would sometimes it would be a rah-rah thing. And then it even would get untenable for my parents. So we'd be on a kick of like, maybe they'd say something at general conference or ward conference or state conference or sacrament meeting or something like that about, unholy media on the Lord's day or something like that. And you'd be like, okay, guess we're just not doing that. Guess we're just watching blue planet now and having naps on Sunday. And that's what we're doing. And then a few weekends go by and my dad's like putting on an action movie. Cause he just can't <laughs> take it anymore. Right. And we're, and it's, it would be the same thing with like Simpsons, right? Simpsons was a big deal in the nineties. Um, you know, cause Bart Simpson was this idealized bad boy who swore and stuff. And be, oh, we can't watch Simpsons. Simpsons is a bad show. And then dad's watching Simpsons on Sunday night and it's, you know, all hell's broken loose. It is, it is so funny. There's so much pressure to like do these little things and you get, like you said, you get that talk on Sunday and you're like, I'm going to do great. <laughs> but then you go right back to it. Cause I think, I think eventually you come back to realizing, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Right. But, but be careful. That's the devil leading you slowly down to hell. So on the, on the topic of the church being perfect, the people aren't, I'd say as I reflect on my time in the church, I'd say it's the opposite, is that I got to interact with some very, very wonderful, perfect people. It was the church that was broken the whole time. Um, so just looking in the rearview mirror at positive experiences in the church, what are some, like without any names or too many details, who are some of the perfect people you kind of got to interact with? Or what memories kind of stick out to you? Um, I loved young men's camps, even though, you know, like getting to go out and just just have fun and just hang out. It was so relaxing. And I, I was fortunate. My leaders, 
my leaders seem to have testimonies like every now and then I remember driving to young men's camps and they would talk about their buddy who was saved by his garments and and stuff like that but at young men's camp there wasn't really any of that we didn't have a a sappy testimony meeting we played call of duty and went on hikes and biking and made fires and you know like it was just hanging out so it didn't like i oddly enough the best memories of church weren't even like churchy things it was the with the people that i met there right it was with the community that i built there and so that was probably probably my best memory what about you uh, one that stands out um, is that, so when I was about 15, like at the start of high school, I had this girlfriend who was unofficially my girlfriend because I was 15 and forbidden to date. And um, so I'd like to tell my parents she was just my friend, but when I turn 16, she'll probably be my girlfriend kind of thing. And then it was like, it was always a tense, tense situation with my parents. I usually got a guilt trip like every weekend about what I was doing and who I was going out with and whatever. But we had this home teacher who was an older guy. And when I turned 16, he brought me over this cake and he brought me over some gift cards and said, have fun, you know, coming into the dating world. I hope you have some good dating, something like that. Right. And so I'm in this weird situation about dating. Dating becomes a weird, high pressure, high stakes game because of what the church is teaching my parents to teach me and what I'm hearing on Sunday. And then here's an older guy with some wisdom who's raised his own kids, who's got some grandkids, who I think can kind of see the big picture that kids having a girlfriend or boyfriend in high school is not a big deal. And we just need to chill out. So he, doesn't, he didn't really usurp my parents, but he just kind of was this outside voice who said, hey, just go have some fun. And was able to kind of depressurize the whole situation and make me feel a little bit more comfortable for a little bit, right? So he stands out as a gem. And he ended up being in the bishopric when I was in the YSA ward. And it was great having him there as well. Um, so, yeah, that is one gem that stands out. And what's interesting is that what made him seem like such a perfect person to me is that he was helping me cope with the weird things that came from being Mormon. So if he wouldn't have been that big of a deal, if there were no teachings on dating and <laughs> whatever, right? That whole interaction would be meaningless without the messed up part of the church, right? Yeah. Yeah. It is such a weird, a weird and arbitrary thing. It's like suddenly when you're 16, <laughs> it's like, oh, you know. You can date now. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> And, but then there are all these other rules and stipulations that come with it. You're not supposed to have too much fun. And, and I think it really depends on your parents and your bishop. I had, I had a bishop who couldn't care less if I had a girlfriend in high school, but another one who thought, you know, oh, if you're, if you're under 18, you have to break up. You can have a boyfriend or girlfriend, but you have to break up every three months so that you can go on dates with other people. And and he talked about this one person he knew who who did that, and she she broke up with her boyfriend after three months and said, it's what my bishop told me to do. 
and the guy's like oh okay <laughs> and and then the bishop gave some lesson about how she was blessed for her obedience to this arbitrary rule and and i mean i i get it go meet other people but there's so many rules there's so many little you know uh pharisaical things right okay so funny funny thing and you know and surprisingly like my girlfriend bless her heart in high school liked me so much that she would kind of go around with this weird clandestine relationship that we had um but I'd even be like, well, do you know what? Even though I'm 16 and we can date, I'm still supposed to just date uh, not exclusively. So sometimes when we go out, I'm going to tell my parents that I'm out with somebody else. So like you just have to, if they phone or something, just pretend you're somebody else. <laughs> or like I've got to go to this church activity and I might be a little flirty because I have to give off this appearance that I'm not exclusive. <laughs> right. And like, and, and it's not like I was trying to, my objective wasn't to like have my cake and eat it too. And be like, have a girlfriend and, and also be a, a playboy. It was like, I have to live this double life. Right. Right. And she just like goes with it. But it's really so like, I'm like, <laughs> this is so weird. This it's whole like- thing is so weird. I feel like everybody, everybody in the church has to live a bit of a double life, you know, on on some level with some things, because how many people, how many people go to church and then drink and then, but then go into their temple recommend interview and say, oh yeah, I keep the word of wisdom, you know, how many, how many young men use pornography and then go into their bishop and they're like, absolutely, yeah, we're all, we're all golden bishop, because you know like even though they're not supposed to, bishops are going to ask specifically oh, yeah, yeah. about yeah. pornography. Yeah, and it's like, what are what are they supposed to say? Oh yes, bishop, I am a fifteen-year-old boy, and then they and then they can't they go sit down with their family in the pews, and now they their family is all looking at them like why didn't you take the sacrament you know yeah oh yeah it's have you have you seen the departed with Mm -hmm. leonardo dicaprio and uh and matt damon so leonardo dicaprio like it's a martin scorsese movie it is absolutely amazing but leonardo dicaprio plays an undercover cop and uh and and part of it is uh the emotional strain that it takes on on him and he's like perpetually just like stressed out and he's chugging Xanax and the whole deal because he's living this double life and he's always on the verge of getting caught. And it's like, Oh my gosh, that was pretty much my life from 12 to 19 was I'm living this double life and I'm perpetually, I'm making up more and more lies to cover my lies. (laughs) I know I'm worried my parents are always seeing through it and they probably always are, but they take it at my word because they don't know what else to do. And I'm, I'm seriously like a secret agent living a double life. And I'm like getting my girlfriend to come along with this clandestine, weird CIA relationship. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and then like, and then you're constantly worried that your Bishop is going to use his, uh, what do they call it? Powers. Yeah. Power of discernment. Power of discernment. And he's going to know, he's going to know exactly what you've done and everything and just, and just call you on it. But you're sitting there thinking, Maybe, maybe I can just lie. Maybe I can just, you know, get through it and, and say this. 
you know, and it's just the, it's just the craziest, craziest thing to be put in this situation, especially, I mean, as a bishop, because they're expected to do these things, you know, and, and as a stake president and a bishop, they're, they're expected to have, you know, these guidelines and these rules, and each of them have different rules. Um, I had one stake president tell a friend that if you're kissing for more than three minutes straight, then then you've crossed the line. Then you're yeah, because there's there's an breaking. angel there with a stopwatch, right? Right, right. Like you have to think about. Okay, that's a rule, but how is this actually being tracked, right? And I think that is part of the. And we can get into this on another episode a little bit more about like the the bureaucratic structure required in heaven to keep track of all these little rules. <laughs> right. <laughs> like it's it's totally bonkers. But then other bishops, I had another bishop tell me, oh yeah, masturbation is whatever. Like he's like, you know, he's like, we only care if you're masturbating if you're going on a mission. He's like, otherwise, uh yeah, you're you're a man. Yeah, you're human. It's so happen. like what yeah. And so it was this weird thing because I always thought, you know, okay, so uh, masturbation's this great evil, and I'm going to go to hell if I do it. And then here's this other bishop that I have saying, "Oh yeah, like who cares?" You know. And so it's this weird, you know. It just depends who you get, right? Leadership roulette is real. Yeah, leader. The leadership roulette, and and that is one. Like that is one indication that the church is not perfect is that you have this random inconsistency and a lack of accountability for the inconsistency is that every company has like an HR department and we could argue about how effective HR departments are in actually dealing with problems and complaints. I know one thing that people will usually say about human resources is you have to keep in mind that HR's job is to protect the company, not the employee. But still, the employee has some prescribed procedure, method, person to report a problem to. And if they can't get through to their HR rep, then they complain to the, the workers' compensation tribunal or what. There's a method and avenue for employees to hold their employers accountable. Whether or not it's effective is a different conversation. In the church, you don't even have that. Your bishop asks a weird question that no bishop's ever asked you for. Who are you going to complain to? The stake president? Then the stake president would just send the complaint back to the bishop unopened. There's no system of accountability. And if there is a system of accountability, it's very, very vague. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> it's got this, because uh, you have this whole, oh, well, they're speaking for God, right? Like, they have this authority over me, yes. right? Yeah. I'm just, I'm just one of the people down here trying to live an obedient life. And then I've got my bishop, my elders quorum president, my stake president all the way up the line and i have to do what what they say because well they're speaking for god they're they are receiving revelation for me right and then it's you're you're sitting in this in this mess of these good people most of them are really well-meaning guys who are put in these positions who then now not only are they expected to act like but a lot of the time they're convinced that they are receiving revelation for you. 
So then they're they're thinking, oh well, they should do this, and this is my rule, and this is what I told my kids, and and then they they impose that on you as like a personal revelation <laughs> for <laughs> for your life. Even and even though, like even like, if even if they don't say like thus saith the Lord, you still take it that way because that's you're told that they're the Lord's representative for the right. Lord. Yeah. And um, sorry, just had a bit mental block here. So then another thing that's interesting is that when you read the handbook of instructions on what bishops should and shouldn't do, one thing that they're not supposed to do specifically is advise people on who they should marry or who they should date. So it's, that's just one example, but I think you could find a lot of other cases where bishops are told to specifically not advise on certain things. So you're told that marriage is this ultimately eternally important decision and should be taken with the greatest of care. You have this figure who's supposed to tell you what to do in every case, but now you've got this one part of your life that is 100% your decision. But if you screw it up, eternal damnation, and the bishop can't tell you what to do, but you've looked to him to tell you what to do in every case. But now this thing where it's like eternal life and death, he can't tell you what to do. And he sh I'm not saying he should tell you what to do, but I'm just saying, like, it is this weird absurdity where it's like the bishop can tell you everything that you should do as long as it actually has no consequence. As soon as there's a decision with serious consequence, the bishop cannot magically, the heavens are sealed and you have to come to that decision on your own. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and not even not even that, but like on top of it, you're in Mormonism, we were taught to like make that decision as young as possible right to <laughs> this oh this is the most important decision you'll ever make for all of eternity you know the, all that forever that you're going to live this is this is the number one thing that you're going to do make sure that you do it in this very narrow window of your of your existence right i don't know if you ever had in seminary where they put the string up along along the roof and then there's this little blue dot and they say see this is eternity this is how long you lived before. This is how long you'll live after. Here's earth life. It's a really important little little test for us. And it's like, wait, and now in this little time, I have to pick that one person I'm going to be with forever and ever. It just always blew my mind. It Yeah, it is. We can get into the bizarreness of eternal <laughs> marriage and eternal. I've got an episode's worth of material on that. Um is there anybody else you can think of who just stood out as a very gem of a person uh, during your time in the church? I've got a few more, but I want to know if you have any others. I can regale you with stories while you, you kind of meditate on this. First year. <laughs> okay, so my first year of seminary, that was the first time I was kind of interacting with youth at a stake level. And I... I get put into this class and I've got no kids from my ward with me. And it's like all the other kids from my ward are in another class. So I'm like the new weird guy. And then there's all these other people from another ward in my class. So I'm kind of like the transplant. Me and this other girl are kind of like the transplants. Right. And uh, we don't really know anybody. So I'm kind of, I'm having some issues fitting in with this group of kids. And um, I end up having a seminary teacher who is an awesome friend to me and an absolute wonderful gem of a person um 
who really just kind of kept me going. And one thing he told me, he went on his mission back in the seventies, but he got diagnosed with Crohn's disease, had to come home early. And a lot of people would tell him if you had had more faith, the Lord would have healed you or you would have been able to finish your mission. And he tells me this story about how, you know, the people were really, really awful, but I had to choose what was more important, the gospel or people's opinions of me. And I chose the gospel. My wife's been great since. But again, same thing with the home teacher that I had is that this person only stands out as a great person who helped me through a socially awkward time because it was a manufactured socially awkward and terrible experience for me. If I didn't have to go to seminary, this person wouldn't have been wonderful to me. That experience was only wonderful because I had to go to seminary because I had to go to an arbitrary group of people without any friends and, and had problems socially integrating. I had no problems with friends at school. I had plenty of friends at school. It was sometimes with clicky groups at church that I and other people struggled. And this person stands out as being a wonderful friend and mentor to me only because I was put in that situation by the quote unquote perfect church. So as I, as I reflect on more and more of these experiences on past bishops, they were only good because they were helping me deal with something that was terrible that the church manufactured. I, I sometimes, that makes me wonder about, you know, the good that these people can do if they weren't part of the system, right? Part of that cycle. Because I know for me, a lot of people have wondered like, oh, then, you know, you've left the church. Now you're aimless and purposeless. And I kind of feel the opposite. Like, I feel like I'm more able to be there for human beings because I'm not worried. I'm not worried about storing up blessings in heaven or anything. I'm just able to just be present and just be here with other people. And I, I think... Yeah, I'm with you. The church manufactures all these tough situations. I, like I had somebody ask me, like, did the church ever do anything good for you in your life? And I said, the best thing the church did for me was it absolved me of the guilt that I felt because it told me to feel guilty about things. It was where it would tell me to feel guilty about something and then it would absolve me of that guilt. But if I walk away from the things it's telling me to feel guilty about, then it doesn't what's it there for? <laughs> and that's kind of, as I think about these really perfect and wonderful people that I had interactions with throughout my life in the church, they were perfect and wonderful because they were compensating for a failure of the organization or a problem that the organization had created. And I think anybody listening to this, if they reflect on their own time in the church, they'll probably see that there were a lot of really perfect, wonderful people but those perfect and wonderful people were only perfect and wonderful because they were helping them deal with the worst parts of the church. So I would just think um, anybody who chooses to remain in the church needs to acknowledge that the church is actually full of wonderful people and the people are doing a wonderful work every day, but the wonderful work they're doing is correcting the problems of the institutional quote unquote perfect church. Yeah. I like that. I think that's a, I, I could list a hundred wonderful, wonderful people um, who helped, who helped me. There's this lady who I, I always hated going to primary. And so this lady would just walk with me 
out in the hallway. It was one of my mom's friends so that my mom could go to Relief Society and not always have to deal with her problem child. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and, you know, people like that who just, you know, look out for you. And maybe this lady was like, I get out of Relief Society. <laughs> like, awesome. <laughs> so maybe it was yeah. a win-win. It's just um, but, yeah, I think, do you have any other any other thoughts you want to share before we wrap up this this episode? No, I think that pretty much sums it up is that if you reflect on your time in the church, you will see that the people were perfect and it's easy to get angry at the church as a whole and everything about the church and feel angry about all of it. Even the people who caused you harm while you're in the church, I don't want to say all of them. I want to leave room for people who are actually abused. Leave that in a separate group, but just a general person who's left the church, they may look back on anger at the whole experience and every person. The people who are mean to you, the people who are cruel to you, they're a victim, like how you were a victim. They were a victim of a caustic mentality and ideology. And I think you can look back and see really, really wonderful, genuine salt of the earth people who helped you along your journey. But what they were probably helping you and saving you from was the machine. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen.